Um, well, hey, it's, I, one of the reasons why I, uh, first time I came to the harbor back in 2008, uh, one of the reasons why I stuck with the harbor is because we're a church that prays, and we prayed in small groups, you know, today, but we did that 10 years ago when I came to the harbor, and I was like, dude, this is for real, like, we're praying about real things, and so I just want to say, I'm so thankful you guys still do that, and even thankful that people are courageous enough to say, hey, I need some prayer, because we believe prayer works, uh, and, and then you come pray over me, and 50 people roll up and pray over our little Rafi. We're like, thank you. So church, we're a church that prays. Um, so, but it is good to be with you guys. We've had an awesome time in Beverly and Salem yesterday. We didn't, ADS students, why don't you just st- raise your hands at least. We didn't give, give you props. Here we go. There they are. So we have nine students this year. This has been our fifth year that we've come up to the North Shore to do our ADS outreach on Veterans Day holiday. Uh, we love it up here. So we go to Beverly and Salem, and I think one of the reflections, we were just sharing testimonies last night, and we were saying, you know, the, the New England gets this rep that people aren't that open, but man, we had like probably 50 amazing conversations yesterday. We were able to pray for people, share the gospel, invite them to church. We even had people who came to church this morning. Thank you guys for coming to church this morning. People courageous enough to come and say, hey, yeah, sure, I'll come and worship with you guys. So I just want to say, man, people are open. People want to have a touch from God and encounter God, and that's what we're all about. So if you want to join us today after the service for, we're going one to three, it's cold, but it's sunny out from one to three, okay? So we're going to go out, and we're going to share the gospel, we're going to pray for people, we're going to encourage people. Uh, So come and join us. We'd love to have you guys jump in with that. So we'll be meeting in the cafeteria right after the service. So... Let's talk today, though, about uh, the passage that we're going to be looking at and also the series that we're in. You guys are in the book of James. And I want to start today by telling you about two incredibly important women in my life. Over the course of their lives, they've been known as teachers. They've been uh, elders in their churches. They both play the piano and played in churches. One of them was a, a CFO for a company. Another was a master's in education and taught uh, School students had to play piano. Um, they're mothers, but to me, they're simply grandma. If you want to give us the picture of Grandma Mason, there's Grandma Mason, beautiful grandma. Next one is Grandma Muti. This is Grandma Muti and I. Uh, so these are my grandmas. And uh, yeah, you guys can all go, ah, you know what I mean? We all, we all love grandmas, right? Well, the reason why I want to talk to them about today is uh, you know, it, they've, they've been a bigger part of our family recently because both of their healths have been in decline. And actually, my grandma Mason just passed away two months ago, uh, and my grandma Muti had just kind of went into hospice care, which basically means instead of doing preventative uh, measures to, to kind of prolong life, you're doing more comfort care. And so our family has just been reflecting a lot more on the legacy uh, or the influence that our grandmas have had in each of our lives, and also some of the fun stories. So here's a couple of the fun stories that, that we've kind of been thinking about or that I remember about my grandmas. So uh, first of all, my grandmas would come to my sports games, and they would come to especially my lacrosse games. And they don't know anything about the sport. They just know that I have a stick and that I hit people, and there's potential that I'm get injured. And they, but they don't really care if I win or lost. Every time I would come up after, and they would just come up and touch me and be like, is everything okay? Did you, we were praying the whole time that you'd be safe. You know, and I'm like, pray that we'd win, Grandma. Come on. <laughs> Nothing like the love and support of a grandma. Doesn't care anything about the game, just cares about you, right? Uh, another good memory that I have is my Grandma Muti. Um, she's incredibly competitive. And we would play games all the time. Rummy Cub, Sequence, Upwards, you name it, we'd play games. 
And typically, with young kids, you know, in order to, like, boost their confidence, you know, adults would take it easy and, you know, let them win a few times. But my grandma was all about letting us learn through losing. And so she would always win. And, but then, eventually, we got better at the games, and we'd start to win occasionally. And she, whenever we won, she would always say, all right, let's play one more game, okay? And so we would play, and then finally she would win, and then she'd be like, all right, it's time to go to bed. And then she would leave. I love my grandma, though. She was amazing. She taught me how to play games. Um, another kind of distinct thing, memory that I have of my, both of my grandmas is that cards that came in the mail, especially on birthdays, were always different when they came from grandma. And that was because they had money inside of them, right? And so I learned from a young age, how do you open up a card from grandma? You open it up, you, you see the money flow down, you throw the card away, grab the money, and you go spend it, right? And I learned, you know, even today, uh, if I open a card and there's no money in it, there's something like a little disappointment in me, you know? It's like something ingrained in me. So if you're going to ever send me a thank you card, you know what to do. Well, you know, these are some funny stories, but they've also had an incredible effect on my faith and my family's faith. And, and they were both uh, amazing represent, uh, representatives of what it means to have a relationship with God and what it means to live with God. And that's really, I'm going to be telling some more stories later about the legacy of faith that they have and the way that they have encouraged my family to live. But just two little things, just want to, uh, uh, right now, things that just happened recently. So even with this uh, this kind of um, news about my uh, little baby. My grandma Muti sent me a card in the mail just the other day. And when she, her first two kids were twins, and they both passed away uh, right after birth, one 24 hours after birth and another 48 hours after birth. And so she was just writing to me saying, hey, and when, when you get tough news about your kids, you know, she, she gets it. You know, this is like the definition of empathy. Is she's, she's gone through it in a much, you know, harder way than, than we have right now. And she just had scripture all throughout and said, these are the scriptures that I meditated on when I really needed him the most, you know, in this deep time of pain. And for me, that was like, oh my gosh, Grandma, you are such depth in the Lord. Such, uh, you encourage my faith because of the way you live. I went out and visit my uh, Grandma Mason, my other grandma who passed away two months ago, and, and she was, you know, bedridden for the last six months of her life. Um, incredible pain. She had bone cancer. We went down to visit her, and um, she taught me piano when I was younger. She was my first piano teacher, and I still play piano today because of my grandma. And so I got to get on the, the piano, and she, you know, she could struggle out of bed, and she was like, no, Phil, we're going to go and worship the Lord right now. So when I was down there with her, I was playing hymns. She was singing, like, right over my shoulder as she was looking at the, the words. And to me, it just was like, man, the depth of relationship that she has with the Lord, even still today, even, even kind of close to her deathbed. Such a good example for me. So today, how that ties into our passage and what we're going to be looking at in James is this, is that I believe that our faith, the way that you guys live out your faith, will be uh, the legacy that you leave for generations. The way that you will be remembered, the way that the harbor will be remembered here on the North Shore, the way that each of your individual lives will be remembered, your legacy will be the way that you lived in active faith and the way that you influenced others in faith. And so today, as we read this passage, I'm just praying, Holy Spirit, come, speak through this passage, speak through my words, speak through my stories, because I want us to walk out of here with vision for living an active faith, for living a faith that says, hey, actually, go, I do things with this belief. 
I, I actually influence other people's lives because of what I believe. I don't just believe in my head. I live it with my actions. So let's turn right now to James 2, 14 through 26. And let's, uh, let's, let's get some motivation to live an act of faith. Read with me now. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God accounted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So I... The summary of the text or the things, the three points that I want to bring out or have you guys remember is this, is that an act of faith leads to maturity, to friendship, and it will be our legacy. An active faith leads to maturity, to friendship, and it will be the legacy by which we're remembered. So first, just a couple observations. Faith that doesn't have actions is no good, dead, and useless. James just nails us in this four different times. Verse 14, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Kind of a rhetorical question. What good is it? Well, it's no good is what he's trying to get to us or have us kind of answer. Verse 17, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Verse 20, how foolish Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And finally, verse 26. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. James is just giving it clear, or or giving it straight, telling us, saying, hey, it's not about head knowledge. It's about you living out your faith. Here he is talking to a bunch of Jewish believers, right? Right? They know the Old Testament scriptures. They know the law. But now he's saying, hey, it's not about that book. It's not about you knowing those things. It's about you following a man named Jesus. It's about you living like Jesus did. And what, you know, I'm I'm reading the Gospels right now, our ADS, that's our, our reading plan. And what I love about the Gospels is it's just teaching of Jesus, 
and a story of him living it out. Teaching story, teaching story. Jesus was the perfect example of one who lived out his faith, one who lived out this life of action. And this is why I believe that James is discipling those that are going to read this book, James. He's saying, guys, you've got to have a faith that lives it out. It can't just be about knowing things. It can't just be about saying, oh, I know about what the cross did, or I know about what sanctification is, or, or the Trinity, or I can explain all these things. But it's like, if you know all that stuff, it doesn't really matter unless you're living it out daily, unless you're applying it to the way that you actually live your life. Our faith is a call to action. So what then does an act of faith lead to? An act of faith leads to, I'm going to start first with maturity and with friendship. So James 2, 22 through 23 He's talking about Abraham here. He says, you see, Abraham's faith and his actions, they worked together. His actions made his faith complete. In some other translations, it says that they made his faith perfect. So his actions led to a complete and perfect faith. Now, the way that I would define that, what is an active, what is a perfect, what is a complete faith? Well, I think it's a mature faith. And what is maturity? Well, let me give a simple illustration, right? Maturity is a parent. Immaturity is a child. And that a parent has the capacity to care for other people. A parent that is mature has the capacity or can be entrusted to care for children. Whereas children, they don't really have much capacity to care for other people. I mean, they barely have the capacity to care for themselves, right? So they, they are ones that are immature, let me have a simple illustration. Sometimes uh, when with my little girl, Hannah or Ava, they're both three years old, sometimes I'll test their maturity. I'm like trying to see what kind of level of maturity they're at. And we'll have a guest over, and I'll say, hey, Hannah, can you bring this cup of water over to our guest in the other room? So I'll fill up the water, give it to her, and 50% of the time, that water is on the ground, right, halfway to the guest. But 50% of the time, she makes it. And I'm like, and I celebrate that 50% that makes it. And the 50% that doesn't make it, I'm like, okay, we can learn from this. We can grow in our maturity. And so, but you see, for me, I never would put that cup of that water in a glass cup, right? Or I never would like fill up, you know, oh, this is the wine for our guests. Here you go, bring it. Or this is the, this is the juice or the soda, bring it to our guests. You know what I mean? Like that, that's almost a guarantee. That's just dumb because that's going to build, build a lot of work for me to clean up the carpet, right? So 50% of the time it makes it, there's, there's a little bit of immaturity there. But maturity is this. Do you think that if, uh, when I ask my wife to do the same thing, hey, babe, can you bring, you know, this glass to our guest? I'm not thinking in my head, oh, there's a 50% chance it might not make it. <laughs> you know, you never know with Leslie these days. I don't know if she, no. I mean, I, 100% of the time, I know it's going to make it. And I can give her whatever glass, you know, so I, can fill it, I can fill it up in our nicest glass because I trust her. I, I know her maturity level. And, and I feel like it's just a simple illustration, but I feel like the Lord is looking around the world or in the earth, looking for people who he can entrust precious things to. And I believe it's those of us who are walking in maturity in our faith. And to walk in maturity means to have an active living faith. So do you desire maturity? Maybe you're a young believer. 
Maybe you've been a believer for a long time, but you just know there's places of immaturity in your life. Do you desire maturity? I hope that you do. Well, here's a couple ways that we can grow in our maturity. Don't just know the value of giving away your money or thinking about, oh, I can give away this money. You know, I, I know that in my head. That's probably a good thing. Actually, go and give away your money. Try it out. Experience the joy of giving away things, possessions, your money, whatever it is. Experience the joy in a real, tangible way. Don't just know how to share the gospel or be able to kind of explain it in your own head. Actually, go do it. One of the most beautiful things about sharing the gospel is that you recognize the beauty of the gospel for yourself. We are mature when we recognize again and again and again how beautiful the gospel is for us as we share it with other people. Don't just talk about forgiveness. Actually do the hard work of forgiving people who have hurt you. Look into your past and say, are you willing to, to really forgive the people who have left pain in your life? Want to break the power of sin in your life? Well, confess your sin. Actually tell other people, bring other people into your life and say, hey, I'm struggling with, in this area. Man, the, the beauty of confession and, and the maturity that it actually brings because you're able to be humble before the people and then also the, the freedom that you experience when you confess your sin. I think of what you guys are doing with the foster care system. Do you actually want to open your home to the widow and the orphan? Start foster care. We have four families that just went through it in Brighton. We have two other families that are already adopted in, in our church in Brighton. And let me tell you, the maturity that they have, the things that they're learning as they open up their open beds to kids that don't have a, a good bed to, to sleep in. Oh my gosh, they are growing in their faith like crazy. And in a lot of ways, Brian and you guys, you guys are leading the way on the North Shore. We've heard some amazing stories about what you guys are doing as you guys lead the charge in terms of foster care here on the North Shore. I'm like, praise God, that leads to your maturity in the faith. Let's not just talk about planting churches here in the North Shore, around the world. Let's actually be ones who are able to risk career or that we're able to say, oh, I'll, I'll join up with that thing that's maybe not started yet, or that thing that doesn't, it's a little bit unsafe, or doesn't feel like it's super solid, or is as amazing as this, this awesome church that we're a part of. What if, what if a group of you said, hey, we're going to go start a church where there isn't a church? Somewhere in Lynn, somewhere in Malden, whatever it is. Let's be ones who not just talk about church planting, but actually go do it. And it will be for our maturity. So when we put our faith into action, one of the ramifications is that our faith becomes complete or perfect, or in my words, it becomes mature. And those who are mature can be entrusted with other things, precious things of the kingdom. That's the first point. An active faith leads to our maturity. Second point is this, is that it leads to our friendship with God. And it's just this little verse, James 2.23 talks about how Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son on the altar, right? And then it just has this little line. It says, and he was called a friend of God. And so I believe that Abraham got to experience a level of friendship that many of us have the chance to experience but maybe aren't yet. You know, it's, I was, I've been thinking about this. It's interesting. The moment that we believe that Jesus 
died on the cross for our sins and was resurrected and that we can give away our life to him and he can become the Lord of our lives. The moment that happens, the Bible says that we become children of God. We're adopted into the family. And it's so beautiful to really recognize that you're a son or a daughter of of God. But I think that too many of us are just content being children and not moving into this level of friendship with God where we have this relationship that's close and intimate. In John 15, Jesus says this. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. And I think it's Jesus giving us vision, saying, you can be a a close, intimate friend with me. But part of that is actually obeying what I say and doing what I say and having an active faith. Let's think about the life of Abraham. I mean, I think of three specific times when that man had some serious faith and backed it up, right? In Genesis 12, God calls him out of the place that he was. He was with his family. He lived in a certain area. And just God says, hey, come to this new land. And it says that Abraham heard the word of God and and he went. That's trust. That's an act of faith. That's hearing God and obeying right away. That's amazing. Later on in his life, God tells him when he's really, really old, you're about to have a son, and your, your wife, whose womb has been closed, is about to have a son. And he's, and he's like, he's incredulous, but he's like, all right, God, I believe you. That's totally a miracle, but I believe you. He didn't quite live out that faith exactly, but I'll get to that in a minute, when he you know, had, uh, went with Hagar. But still, he had the faith to believe that there is a son of promise coming. Another instance in his life, and this is the one that James talks about here, is God asked, Jesus, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, the son of promise, on this altar. I mean, I can't imagine how hard that would have been, and yet he was willing to do it. And so after all these things, the reflection on Abraham's life was that he was a friend of God. And I want to be a friend of God. I want to be one who, God, that's what, that's what defines me, is that not only am I a child, because I am, and I'm living in that, and I operate as a son, but I actually operate as a friend of God. And I believe that the way we do that is through having an active faith. So our active faith, it leads to maturity, it leads to friendship, and then finally, and this is where it ties into my grandmas, it leads to our legacy. It's how we will be remembered. The very end of this passage We see James, he's kind of looking back on his Jewish heritage. And he names two people, Abraham and Rahab. And he gives these simple stories, these simple ways that they lived out their faith. Right? Abraham, he mentions Isaac being willing to sacrifice his son. But then Rahab is a prostitute who lived in Jericho. And as the Israelites were coming into the land of Jericho, they sent spies into the city. And they went to Rahab's house, and they're like, hey, can you hide us from the people that are about to come and kill us? And if you do, you will live. And Rahab, in this incredible act of courage, totally trusting these random guys and believing that what they said is true, she hides them, risks her life, risks her family life, family's life in order to hide these two spies. And that's all the story we get. I mean, and she is saved eventually once the Israelites come in and take over Jericho. She is saved, so it's a great story, but that's the little story of faith that, that the Bible has about Rahab. And that's what James is trying to get us to remember. He's saying, hey, this act of courage that Rahab had, this act of trust that Abraham had, 
Those are the things that are, that, that, that ripple effect for the rest of their lives, for the rest of the generations, for now two thousand, you know, thousands of years later, here I am preaching on a Sunday morning about those simple acts of faith. That's the legacy that they have. And so I believe that our active faith leads to the legacy that we'll be remembered for. And that's what I want us as a church to remember, guys. I want, I want to call us to be ones who live an active faith that leads to our maturity, our friendship, and finally our legacy. So let me tell you a little bit about the legacy of my grandmothers. The ways that they showed my family how faith lives itself out in action. And these are the three examples. Faith it serves, faith gives, and faith prays. I'll tell you a little bit about my Grandma Mason. So my Grandma Mason had six kids. My mom was the only uh, daughter. She had five brothers. Crazy household. It's so fun to see. When we have massive family reunions and all the brothers. It's a, it's a blast. But I can't imagine what it was like to be the mother of those six boys, especially since when my grandfather was 42 years old, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So he was a, a teacher, a math teacher in uh, Bloomfield High in Connecticut. And at 42 years old, and for some of you out there, you're like, wow, that's a really long way away. For some of you, that's, that's, you've already been through that. Some of you are coming up on 42. And imagine getting diagnosed with a debilitating disease at that age. And so he had to retire. And my, mom, uh, my grandma basically had to go into full-time care of my grandfather at 42 years old while having six kids. For the next 30 years, my grandma daily had to serve and care for, 100% care for my grandfather. And so when I look back on her life, and where I think about my grandma's life, I say, man, she taught me that faith serves. She was an example of living out that marriage vow in sickness and her health. I'm going to care for this person I'm making a covenant relationship with. I love another story about my grandma and her service. For the last 10 years of her life, my grandfather was in a nursing home because the care did get so intensive that she, she had to go to a nursing home. And she would go visit him every single day. But every day when she went, as she was with my grandfather, she played the piano. And so she would grab all the residents of the, the nursing home, bring them into the big place where the piano, the, the big conference room where the piano was, and she would just play hymns. And for, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, she would just play hymns and, and bless the residents of the nursing home uh, with just, you know, live music. So my grandfather died, and she was like, you know what? I love that so much. I'm going to continue to do it. And so until she couldn't move anymore, really, until she was bedridden, my grandmother would visit. Even at 88 years old, she would go into these nursing homes probably once a week, and she would play music for the residents there. I'm just like, Grandma, you are such an example of a woman who serves, who cares not only for your husband, but even for those, for others. Amazing story of a life that served. And, and it, you know, we talked to her at the end of her life and just said, Grandma, you know, tell us more about that. You know, it's interesting as you become older, now I'm 32 and I'm talking to my grandmas about like real life stuff. They're not just like grandma that I like get the card from, right? I like can talk about real things. And so you're, you're, I'm able to ask her like, what was that like to serve grand, grandpa in that way? And she just said, hey, that, that was what the Lord had for me. And I served faithfully. And I'm so excited. Like, she doesn't look back with regret or she doesn't look back with like, oh, that was a really hard life. She just said, that's what the Lord had for me to do. And I did it faithfully. And I'm like, dang, that's such an example of a woman who was willing to serve. My grandma Muti, my grandma Muti teaches me that faith 
gives. When uh, she was 30 years old, my grandfather and grandmother, same age, they had four kids at that time. And they decided, my grandfather had a couple different jobs, but they were like, you know what, we're going to start a business together. And so, actually, my grandfather said, I want to start a business, but the only way I'm going to do it is if you join me. And so they, did, they went into a business together called Service Master. They opened up some franchises in Connecticut and in Massachusetts. But it was really hard in those beginning years. Uh, but they made this commitment. They said, hey, we're going to open these businesses, but the business is not just for the sake of us making money. We want to give other people an opportunity and employment. And so they made a commitment early on in their company to hire people that basically needed a second chance at a job, people that weren't able to get jobs or immigrants into our country that didn't have opportunities to have jobs. They made sure that they had a chance. And, and they made a commitment and said, hey, if they prove themselves as great workers, we will immediately promote them until we get to a place where we can hopefully give them the business. And at the end of their career, they looked back and they saw that they had actually promoted multiple people that didn't have any chance at another job, immigrants into our country, they had promoted them to actually then owning or running completely their own franchises in Massachusetts and Connecticut. And that was from an early on commitment of saying, hey, we're, we're giving people the opportunity to get into business. We've been blessed with this opportunity. We want to give away the opportunity to others. And so for me, I'm like, thank you, Grandma and Grandpa, for living out the example of it's not just about me and what I can get, but giving other people an opportunity. Another example of their giving is they had a second home up in the upstate New York, this small cabin that's on a lake. And it's a beautiful vacation home that they would go for months at a time, especially as they retired. But their commitment always when they bought this place was, we're going to give away weeks and months at a time to people who could use a place of respite. And so multiple missionaries that would come through their church, they said, hey, take a week, go up, enjoy this place. They were committed from an early time to give away that vacation place, to give away places of respite for people who needed it. They're an amazing example of a faith that gives. Finally, both grandmas were an example of faith that prays. And this is probably one of my greatest, big part of my testimony is the prayers that my grandparents have had over my life. So my grandma Muti, when in about the mid-90s, she has five siblings, and they gathered together for a sibling reunion. And they looked at their whole family, and they thought about all their kids and all the grandchildren that kind of were represented in that room. And they said, hey, what if we made a covenant together to pray every single day for our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren? What would happen if we actually did that? And so they felt like there was this like holy moment that happened where the Lord kind of came and said, hey, this, this will be what will happen, and gave them a vision for families and their, their children and their grandchildren all walking with the Lord for the years to come. That was kind of the, the long-term vision of their daily prayers. And so they made a covenant at that moment in the mid-90s, and they said, hey, we will pray every single day. And so today I'm a testimony of almost 25 years of consistent prayer for my Grandma Muti and Grandpa Jim daily. I'm just saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you for putting that on their heart in the way that that's affected me. My Grandma Mason, very similar story. So I told you, it was, it was sad. She lost her first husband. But when she was 75 years old, we heard that my Grandma Mason was starting to date somebody. That's right. 75 years old, 
and she brings home a boyfriend. And this is an amazing guy because he was a missionary for 40 years in Africa. His wife had died, and they both happened to live in the same kind of retirement area. And so they met, they started dating, and at 75 years old, they got married. It was one of those quick, you know, they met, and like two months later, they were married. It was one of those deals. But we all were like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. My grandma just got remarried. But one of the commitments that they made, this was 15 years ago, is they said, okay, well, they looked at their family. They said, we have, you know, about uh, uh, maybe 10 kids between us, but then about 30 great-grandchildren or grandchildren and great-grandchildren between us. What if we made a commitment to pray for them daily? And so 15 years ago, my grandma Mason and my grandpa Barney, they made a commitment to be ones who prayed because they believe in the power of prayer for the generations to come. And so when I think about my family, my grandmothers, my grandmothers, I see a faith that serves, a faith that gives, and a faith that prays. And that's going to be their legacy. And even now, here I am telling you guys, that's the legacy message of my grandmothers is that they're ones who put their faith into action, and it's going to affect generations on into the future. So, we're going to respond. So the band wants to come back up. We're going to move into a time of response. This is kind of where we've been today, right? James 2. It's, a, it's this passage that's saying, we must have an act of faith. The real faith is an active faith. And it shows through the life of Abraham and Rahab, that faith leads to our maturity, and when we become ones who are mature, God can entrust precious things of the kingdom to us, which is what I want for each one of you guys. It leads to our friendship, which is the highest calling, I feel like, more than becoming children. It's us becoming friends of God, totally trusting him, living in that intimate relationship. And then finally, an act of faith is what we will be remembered by for the years to come and generations to come, just like my grandmother's. So here's how I want to respond. First of all is this, is that uh, over here in this corner, so I'm going to kind of split up and have a little time. Hey, we're a bunch of praying people, right? So I'm going to get you guys mobilized to pray for one another. Right over here, I'm asking all of ADS students, you guys come up into this corner right here. And you guys in the crowd, you guys are going to come pray, lay hands on our, our students today and say, God, fill them up today as they go out and do outreach here in Beverly and Salem. Fill them up with words of knowledge, words of encouragement, words of prophecy that they might bring blessing to this city. So you'll pray for them, and then right away, right when you finish their prayer, they're going to pray for you. Same thing, that you would be, that we would be a church in this region who lives out an act of faith in terms of reaching out to those who are around us. So that's the, that's the first thing. So ADS students, start mobilizing. You guys can come right on up here. Second thing over here is this is that maybe as I'm starting to talk, you're saying, what, what does that even mean to have an active faith? And so I want you to say, hey, in what ways have I not been living an active faith? In what ways does my life completely change when I go to my workplace and I'm not living like the life that maybe I show in my life group or with my family? Are there ways that your life is a little bit compartmentalized in that way? So I want you guys to, to think, is that me or is there any way? And I want you to repent and just say, God, that's not the kind of life I want to live. I want to live a life that is totally integrated, totally active. Repent and then come up and ask and then help me. Help me to be one who lives out an act of faith. And in any way that you guys need that, it can, it can look different for as many people are in the room. That might look different. So I want to mobilize you guys to say, 
I'm, I repent of any way that I haven't lived an act of faith. And I want to be filled up. I want, I want help from the Holy Spirit and from you as a community to pray that I want me, be one that lives an act of faith. So if that's you, you can start coming to this area. You can start to repent and then come up and receive prayer. But let me pray for us as the band starts playing and we'll, we're going to respond. Lord, thank you so much for this book of James. Thank you, Lord, that the call to, to live an active faith. And I pray, Lord, that we as the harbor and as Antioch and Boston, we would be ones who live in active faith because it leads to our maturity, leads to friendship with you, and it will be the legacy for which the harbor and Antioch and each of us individually are remembered by. So Holy Spirit, come help us. You know, just, just a quick thing. What was the biggest difference in the disciples' lives in Acts 1 and Acts 2? Acts 1, they were afraid. Jesus had just left. They were you know, kind of praying together in a room, really worried about what was going to happen to them. Acts 2 and the rest of Acts, there were these bold, uh, amazing men and women who lived out their faith. What was the difference? Well, the Holy Spirit came and filled them up. And so as you repent and as you say, God, I'm sorry, ask the Holy Spirit to come and give you help to live that active faith. So Lord, do it. Holy Spirit, come and fill us up. So if you want to start mobilizing, you pray for ADS students as we do outreach and they'll pray for you or come up into this corner and we'll make sure that we get prayed, you get prayed over. You might be filled to be helped to live an active faith.